Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome to Zero G, the science fiction, fantasy and historical radio show. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And I actually should have introduced myself as Lieutenant Commander Wolf. <laughs> because our title is today, The Devil Wears Purdy. Very good. <laughs> our, our podcast title is Pupcast. We are going to talk about Cruella. Yes, we've had this in our minds for a while. And then uh, we had, there was a blip where going to the cinema wasn't quite on the table. And then we thought, look, let's just go ahead and cover it because it looks like a tasty treat to dig our teeth into. Mm. A Scooby <laughs> snack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Zoinks. Well, it is actually possible to go to the cinema in various locations in the world at the moment and see Cruella, but it is also possible to stream it on Disney Plus. At this stage, in Australia at least, as a premium offer like Mulan. And so mm-hmm. I actually did that. I shelled out over 40 bucks. Oh, really? Mine was 35. Yeah, well, let's see how it worked out for me. It must have been because I was doing something dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should never have got that extra chock top. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking about just the, the economics of that. I suppose, say you had a family of four, right? Not, mm-hmm. a, not a family of Thor, because he's into video games, not movies. Um, but if you had that then okay, you save the ticket price of twenty bucks each, mm. and obviously popcorn and whatever mm. people do when yeah. they go to the cinema, and possibly even a dinner as well or a lunch. I mean, you're missing out on the outing, but you're right. I think personally, I did the same thing. I just got it on Disney Plus. I paid the money. I did check, and you can like I could watch it again. It's not like a rental, so I'm I'm able to go in and watch that as many times oh. as I like, which I think is a plus as well. And obviously, it's a hefty price tag for one person. But for me, trying to find the right movie time, and because I knew we wanted to talk about it, the convenience did win out. So I think. Depending on your situation, I can see. I mean, I still think it's a rort. I think Disney has enough money. They could simultaneously release uh, online and in cinemas. But, look, this is the path they've gone, and it does just mean there are more options. So you can go to the cinema or you can get it as a Disney Plus subscriber if you pay that extra premium cost on top. So that's just the lay of the land, and that's how we did it. Eventually you'll be able to get it on the Disney Plus channel without paying the premium, just as it was with Milan. So I think wait wait a few months and... Yes, that'll be available in August. So mm. you'll be able, in about two months or so, it'll just be available with the rest of Disney's content. So, But we wanted to see it while it was still fashionable, darling. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And lucky us, I think we made the right choice, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. Okay, well, this is a, a long-term franchise Let's call it a prequel. 
Yeah, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot in, in this that I had not realised, like going back to 1956, the, the novel written by Dodie Smith, The 101 Dalmatians. And then, of course, they call this the 101 Dalmatians franchise because there was a an animated film in 1961, a Disney one, that I've never actually seen. Me neither. I think maybe I must have seen it as a young child, but I have very little memories of it. And that is, yes, of course, the 101 Dalmatians that was directed by Clyde Geronini, Hamilton Lusk and Wolfgang Reitherman. I mean, what great 60s names are right there. And it was Disney's um, 17th animated film that they released. So, yeah, it came out in the 60s and it tells the story of our favourite litter of puppies and our villain, quote, unquote, Cruella de Vil, uh, who is going to become very important to this discussion and also the um, Dalmatian parents, I guess, Pongo and Pedita. Uh, and, yes, the evil quest of Cruella to turn these pups into the latest couture on the on the streets. Um, she wanted to turn them into a coat. So that was the uh, original Disney animation, which I have not seen either, but that was just starting a journey of Dalmatian-related content that Disney would pursue. <laughs> I have seen the 101 Dalmatians 1996 live-action remake of that anime. And <laughs> that's one the one with uh, Glenn Close memorably playing Cruella Deville. Yes. She is she is totally, if you'll excuse the pun, and if not, I don't care anyway. She is totally barking <laughs> in that uh, is a a one note performance, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. such a high note. I got to say. Disney's pretty full of one-note performances, as is the 90s. So when those things combine, I'm not that surprised that she was hamming it up. How did that – so, you know, it's been a couple of decades since that one came out, Rob. How do you think that's aged? Because I've not seen that live action for a very long time. Uh, It seems to be – you know, it's got Hugh Laurie in it for one thing. Really? Playing an American or a Brit? Uh, Playing a Brit. Mm-hmm. He's um, one of the, the, the two henchmen. Oh. Yeah. And also the actor okay. whose name escapes me at the moment, but that's all right, uh, who plays Father Brown in those Father Brown mysteries. Interesting. He's, okay. the, he's the other minion. Uh, it's quite a film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's got uh, Tim McInerney in it and it's just a, a very – I use the phrase strong cast, which is ironic in light of the cast of Cruella. And it doesn't age well in terms of some of the tropes in there. Like uh, it's got two romances in it. Okay. And one of them is almost gratuitous. The other one is between the two Dalmatians. Because that's okay. This is how you get 101 Dalmatians with a a romance that starts with two doggies. But their owners also have to, they almost get, they literally get dragged along into their own romance by their dogs, as as happens. Uh, And that's actually true. That is true to life, that that sort of thing. Uh, And, well, you know, it's Jeff Daniels. Was one of the characters, the actors in that. That, But we don't really want to go too far into that. But I found the trope of, of the creative female talent in that, who is not Cruella, she has to give up her job in order to get married and to look after 15 puppies and 
And mm-hmm. I felt that was a little bit on the nose sort of thing. It was just an automatic sort of assumption. And it's actually it's the nineties, uh, yeah. the, ni- the way of the nineties, let's say. And it's actually Cruella who picks up on that in that film. She says something like, uh, "We've lost more good women to marriage and fire and flood and famine than you'll ever know." You know, <laughs> yeah, okay, you know, preach it. <laughs> so, okay, after that, we had a sequel, which also had uh, Glenn Close in it, which is 102 Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. We've got a video game based on the 1996 film, which is actually encoded within the live-action film in terms of that's one of the plot devices in it. The Jeff Daniels Ooh. character is creating a um, a video game in that and he Interesting. ends up basing it on the, the whole adventure. There's a, a Disney series from 1997 to 98, uh, a direct-to-sequel a direct-to-video sequel to the 1961 film called 101 Dalmatians 2 Patches London Adventure. Then there was another 2019 television series riffing off the 102 Dalmatians, uh, a musical. Oh. I mean, it's Disney. Is there an ice one, an ice version? I don't know. I'm sure there is. Oh, hilarious. Imagine 101 Dalmatians on ice. (laughs) (laughs) It says a lot about... I think a certain time period and probably including now the the allure of the animal film that they've managed to stretch this premise a fairly thin premise mm. across all of these series and films because people love their dog movies and I think there was a time when I was young when there was a lot of animal films being made and uh yeah I think it's quite interesting that what's a pretty one note idea has become a franchise of sorts <laughs> Well, this new movie is directed by Craig Gillespie, mm-hmm. an Aussie American film, television, music, video, and commercial director. I first mm-hmm. saw a film of his, uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Great mm-hmm. film, Brian Gosling at his finest. Fright Night. Oh, he did the Fright Night, the mm. one with Colin Farrell. The the newer one, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, and I Tonya. Have you seen that, Rob? I have not. I should. But I, I haven't. I highly recommend. It's it's got some plot elements I feel are a little bit similar to this one to Cruella. Absolutely, Craig likes his uh, unusual. I hesitate to say antihero, but his mm-hmm. complex female strong character for sure. And he did the uh, the pilot and um, first season of the United States of Tara. Again, complex women. I can see a bit of a theme here. Actually, it's a complex woman. Because <laughs> it's a split personality beyond more than one, actually, mm. in this case. Uh, yeah, so this is the, the film, Cruella. It's meant to be a prequel to the two yes. Glenn Close films. Uh, it's got a screenplay by Dana Fox and Tony McNamara, story by Aline Brosh McKenna, Kelly Marcel, Steve Zizis, and it's all based off the the 101 Dalmatians by Dodie Smith. So, you know, there's a fairly long, complicated trail there. Some mm-hmm. of these, mm-hmm. you know, other films that, uh, for example, Dana Fox did the, the the wedding date from 2005, What Happens in Vegas, the television mm-hmm. comedy series Ben and Kate. So they're trying to get a, a fair bit of, of stylish comedy into this one. Uh, Tony McNamara is another Australian, a playwright, screenwriter, TV producer. Uh, he worked on... So many of the iconic 
moments in Australian television series over the years. Mm. So, you know, they've got some people who have got some chops there to do things. The film itself, well, a quick take on it. I, I felt it was a little bit too long, maybe mm-hmm, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. one or two tails too long in terms of Dalmatian lengths. Needed more pause. <laughs> <laughs> for effect, <laughs> yes. and, and well, I think, less pause, I guess. Less pause, yeah. Uh, and I think we probably should do a, a spot here for the station, <laughs> <laughs> but mostly we're going to play a track. Uh, shall we go with why not introduce our main character with, and let's go with "Call Me Cruella" from the soundtrack of the new Cruella movie, and this one is by Florence plus the Machine. Florence plus the machine. Rob, you're the best. Yes, Florence and the machine. Love them. So let's take a listen to this one. Hello, I'm Ray Harryhausen, animation pioneer. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. That was Florence and the Machine with Call Me Cruella from the new Cruella film that is now streaming on Disney Plus for an extra premium fee, but also in cinemas. And Rob and I both checked it out. And I think that really nicely captured the essence of where Cruella ends up at the end of the film because this is young Cruella. So it is Cruella's origin story. And when I first saw they were making this film, I thought, wow, this is the film no one asked for. (laughs) But I did eat my words because I think they have a lot of fun with this. So shall we dig into some of the details? Yeah, in the tradition of let's have a trilogy of Darth Vader origin movies that nobody really asked for. (laughs) A a Joker movie where we got that one joke note. Actually, we we kind of appreciated that film at the time. We loathed ourselves for doing so. But it is You're speaking of the the Joaquin one. Yeah, yeah. Because it is actually a a fairly strong film. You know, this is a, a thing. You get the successful franchise people become quite fixated on the notorious villain they decide mm-hmm. to do an origin story mm-hmm. and bang you get maleficent or you know these sorts of things and then because you have to have a story one of the the requirements is to show how the character got, gets from a to b how do they get yes. to be the super villain that we know and hate mm-hmm. later on mm-hmm. In that respect, I think Cruella falls a little bit behind. It doesn't actually give us the main reason why she becomes, and I'm not spoiling anything here, an animal-skinning coat maker, you know. (laughs) She, and I know that's not actually a job specification, but that's Mm -mm. that's the shorthand. They give you lots of other things in there about her character, but they don't actually get to that point, I feel. So there's, I think, there's room for a sequel prequel. Yeah, yes, a middle movie, The Middle Child. I do agree, but I think they raise some interesting ideas. There are some notes in there about what is a villain and a story needing a villain, and I think it's trying to be a little bit, A, the human behind the caricature of a villain, but also B, that... I think it's more, it's not that she goes from being uh, one thing to another. It's more that she sheds the Clark Kent and just embraces the Superman that she's always been. And I don't think that's a spoiler. I think it's not so much about a transformation so much as a shedding of a of the more 
palatable persona. Mm. So we don't actually, it's a little bit like Harley Quinn. Yeah, I felt I felt we were in that sort of territory, uh, but we didn't don't actually yeah. get to that sort of full Cruella mode, and that's okay. I, I see. Mm-hmm. It it starts out in the uh, before the swinging in the swinging sixties actually, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a really smart move on the filmmakers' behalf. Yeah, because this is a film that's heavily influenced by fashion and mm-hmm. influencing fashion, and it's a critical point in the in the history of 20th century fashion, at least, the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. They've chosen exactly the right place and time. It's London. You know, everything's happening there. Well, this is sort of tied into this where young Cruella is, she's not exactly happy in school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She has to come to terms with her appearance, which, and and her social class, her background which is quite mm. important. And as you know, she's got the hair that's got the half white, half black streak in it. Mm-hmm. And this puts her in for being bullied and harassed and all sorts of things. So some of her personality is in response to that at school, but it's made mm-hmm. quite clear that she's a bit of a tear away before she yeah, actually gets I think to it's- school very much about her being a bit outside the box in a good way. Like it's very much that trope of the misunderstood genius that grows up a troubled child and then finally the genius gets to be unleashed later in life. That's kind of what we're looking at, I think. She wants to be a fashion designer even at this early age and they do lots of foreshadowing in the background of this, like uh, black spots being inked into her school record book. Mm-hmm. Uh, floor tiles, which uh, some of them are black and some of them are white. So we, we get this whole foreshadowing of how things are going to go down. She even actually has uh, a dog companion mm-hmm. at this early age, and dogs do actually feature in this movie but not as much as they do in 101 Dalmatians. But there's some, yeah. there's some pretty good canine stunts. <laughs> Absolutely. I was not expecting as much great dog acting as I got. And the dogs, are there's some great doggo moments. And if you're going in wondering, is this going to be an anti-dog film? It is anything but, uh, just to say. I think there's some great, great dog scenes. I actually could not tell when they were doing CGI dogs and when they were real dogs. Mm. You know, this is, they were using CGI dogs in the 1996 live action one. Oh, uh, hmm. as well as Jim Henson Creature Shop and animatronics, but mm-hmm. in this one, I can't tell. I can <laughs> intuit it from the fact that they put the dogs in certain situations where it would probably be unwise to have, to a, have real a real dog, yeah, or or else impossible, you know. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it's pretty on point on this one. She encounters some difficulties in her life. Because, of course, you're going to have to go from, well, she wasn't exactly rich to start with, but she's going to go from comfortably well off because she ends up going to a quite posh school to Ooh. rags and then she's going to have to work her way back up from there. That's not really a spoiler. This is this is no. just plot making, as we shall say, 101. Yes. Eventually she makes her way to London mm-hmm. and gets into – Complications with two young boys who are petty thieves, Horace and Jasper. And you will know that these are the minions that we later encounter in the later part of the series. And 
there is going to be a point where she's going to end up at a fashion house. We know that. Mm-hmm. And so it proves. <laughs> now, because this is Cruella's Joker movie, you're going to have lots of setbacks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. her overcoming them. And this builds our understanding of the characters as, as audience members. And we're supposed to be able to emphasize with her a bit and see that there's more to the character. Very much so. And I think that's where Emma Stone's portrayal really comes in. I think she does a really great mix of the slightly off-kilter, unhinged, hamming it up, really leaning into that Cruella portrayal and also showing just enough of the vulnerability that keeps you hanging on to the film. I think she's perfect as Cruella, to be honest. I think she does a really great job. She was also perfect in Birdman. Yes. And there's a lot of actually animal motifs here. And uh, (laughs) as Gwen Stacy in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, of course, my favourite Emma Stone encounter, Wichita in the Zombieland movies. (laughs) I will also say I think there's some parallels between her character here and her character that she played in The Favourite, which is probably my favourite Emma Stone uh, portrayal. And I think she she is actually, for someone who sprang onto the scene as kind of a wide-eyed ingenue, she's got a very good knack at playing slightly, a little bit scary <laughs> young women who know how to get where they need to go. Because this is a 21st century movie, I feel like there's a lot more thought. And she's got the whole movie to herself really in this one Mm. um except for one other (laughs) and and that one other is emma thompson Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now this is actually a difficult ask it's a it's a trick that they've set themselves to accomplish you've got cruella deville who's really a classic disney villain Mm -hmm. at least in the other movies uh and in this one they're trying to have a a person who's even further off the scale. Yeah, and that, someone for her to be opposite, someone to come head-to-head head with and lock horns. Ooh. And you're right, it would, it, they set themselves up a tough task. And it's Emma Thompson acting her prehensile eyelashes off in this. Yeah. It is the clash of the designer divas. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, and boy, do they lean into that. They are both... Obviously, I mean, Emma Thompson's having a ball. I think Emma Stone is really enjoying herself. And you've got, yeah, the clash of classic couture and then Cruella's kind of punk revolution, torn up, uh, amazing creations as well. And then, yeah, a lot more than just that as well. Like their interactions are perfect. They just, the chemistry between those two, that was a must-have and they, they got it. They had it. Yeah, explosive chemistry in this case. Uh, And this relationship takes the place of the romances that we would have had Mm -hmm. in the earlier Disney movies. What a relief. Kind of, I know that they're kind of meant to be villains or unlikable people, but to see two women fronting the film, having it to themselves, rather than making it be about she was, you know, left at the altar by some man and that's what made her turn into a villain. Like, I love that it's about just very ambitious women trying to fight each other to get to the top. It's funny you should say that, uh, left at the altar 
because it's very Dickensian. It reminds me a little bit of Great Expectations and Estrella, because her name is like Estrella or Estella or something like that. And yes, Estella is her birth name. Yeah, she uh, yeah, takes so on Cruella. There's a little bit of Dickensian stuff going on there. Uh, but I thought that they just interacted so well beyond what I had expected. And mm-hmm. do they even talk about a man at any stage? Not once. Yeah. Apart Probably from- not positively if it was going to be the case because yeah. they've got very little respect for some of the people around them, but there's a lot of incompetence <laughs> that they're surrounded with, I will say. <laughs> but not in the acting realm because uh, Mark Strong is there. Yes, I was very pleased, always happy to see some Mark Strong pop up. Mm. And I think as well, I mean, he was in King, the Kingsman movies. And I think there's like a little bit of overlap in like the general energy and movement of these kinds of films that are just very fun and engaging to go into. So I was happy to see him pop up here. Sorry, I should say who he plays. So Mark Strong, of course, plays John the Valet, who is valet and sort of sidekick to Emma Thompson's character, the Baroness. We also have in there Kirby Howell Baptiste. She plays a character called Anita Darling. And so she's a reporter who plays a bit of a pivotal role in things and trying to get Cruella a bit of exposure. We've got uh, Kayvan Novak. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kayvan Novak plays Roger, who is another one of uh, Emma Thompson's staff, hapless staff, you could say. And um, we've seen him before in the 2010 comedy film Four Lions. And he was Nandor the Relentless in What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, cool. Mm. He's also been a Cyberman voice, done a lot of voice acting. And he's the voice for the character of Brains in the Thunderbirds I Go reboot series. We see the two minions. Minions. The minions. I just like them. They do start off as equals. I would say they, yeah, it's very interesting how they've had that evolve, but go on. Well, you know, I'm thinking of like supervillains, so naturally I think of minions. (laughs) Paul Walter Hauser, I think he's an actor to watch because he's been in a lot of stuff that I've liked. He usually plays a side character. He's one of the minions. Um, And... He was also in I, Tonya as well. So I think he's worked with Gillespie before, the director. Ah. So I think there's some connections there. And he was also in a Clint Eastwood film recently. Um, but I've, I've liked him in everything that I've seen him in, to be honest. So it was nice to see him in this. I think it was a nice choice. The other one is Joel Fry is playing Jasper Badden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Badden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... He wasn't actually trying to channel the 1996 film or the uh, original animated film, so he's just trying to be himself, but but maybe copying some of the physical mannerisms, like they had uh, Glenn Close in the 1996 film trying to appear like the Cruella animation from yes. the 60, you know, so they're, they're trying to, they're trying to be homages to this. So we've got Minions in here and uh, Emily Beecham playing Cruella's mother, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. she was in uh, Hail Caesar mm-hmm. and Into the Badlands. And, well, you know, we, we, we could go on forever about the, the minor people in the cast here, but it's all about, it's all about the divas, really. Oh, and I should mention John McRae, who we've seen before in the 2020 television series Dracula, mm-hmm. that we enjoyed so much. He's playing, I think it's in the 1960s, a retro fashion shop owner called Artie, 
who is, according to the notes on this, the first originally created openly gay character in a live-action Disney film, which is good to see. And he also contributed to the film's soundtrack. Yeah, he's a great character. He really lit up his scenes and I was happy that he uh, had a decent-sized role and we got to see a little bit of him. But, um, yeah, and his interactions with Emma Stone are really, really nice too. I felt it was cha- – well, it was obvious that he was channeling David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by way of – by way of um, is it Neil from the Mighty Boosh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What better combo? If you're going to channel someone. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe um, maybe Richmond from the IT crowd. Uh, but he was also in Game of Thrones as well. Oh, cool. Mm. Anyway, I think we could play a track from him. Sounds good. In fact, um, from the film. Excellent. Which is I Want to Be Your Dog by John McRae, or as you all know him from the film, Art. This is Cory Doctorow, author of Little Brother, Information Doesn't Want to Be Free, and the forthcoming novel Walk Away, and you are listening to Zero G on 3 R. John McRae, who plays the character of Art in the movie Cruella, with a track mm-hmm. from the movie called I Want to Be Your Dog which is actually something special when you think about it because this film has an excellently curated soundtrack. Oh, it's spot on. <laughs> spot on, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentional, but I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, brilliant soundtrack, Great, some great retro tracks. Can I say retro? They are retro. Well, they are now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're actually supposed to be in film. Mm. A couple of times, you know, because, I mean, um, Emma Stone is walking along sort of, you can see that she's mouthing the words to the song. Mm, 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 mm. And, look, sometimes you can give away soundtrack names without them being Mm. spoilers, and I'd hate to spoil anything for people. Some people don't actually even want to know any of the songs in a film. In this case, they're all retro songs, and if you didn't have a David Bowie song in a movie that's set in the 60s and the 70s, you would, what would you be doing? You know, I ask exactly. you. He's lacking. So, yeah, we'll get our Bowie of the Week track out of this film too. Uh, we were doing a Call Me Cruella track earlier at the start of the show. That, mm-hmm. That's actually very integral to all of the Dal- Dalmatian films. There's always some song praising Cruella or explaining her or excusing her or possibly indicting her. (laughs) Mm. I will say on that note, and I won't spoil anything, I promise, is be sure to stay for a little in-credits sequence. Uh, So just keep your eyes peeled for that, and uh, it's a little bit of an Easter egg for you. So we've talked about the two Emmas, Emma Thompson and Emma Stone in this movie, who are absolutely brilliant. Mm Mm-mm. It is the best non-romantic chemistry I've seen on screen in ages. Yeah. They just sizzle there. And wow. <laughs> now, one of the tools that they use are the costumes. Yes. The character costumes, the designs, and even just the production design in general is impeccable, but they're very much saying a lot through the fashion that's featured in this film. There are some staggeringly good pieces in this and obviously being in the 60s, there's that vast opportunity to riff off of that, which they do with flair. (laughs) 
using it as a platform mm. to mm. <laughs> give us a very strong, strong sense of time and place. Yeah. And, of course, that is seen through the modern lens. There are some liberties taken, but I support them. I think some of Emma's costuming um, as Cruella are brilliant. Like really you get a sense of kind of she's a rebel and all this, but, you know, some of those costuming, they're taking some, uh, they're not exactly trying to be historically accurate, which I'm fine with. This is a vision. This is a fantasy and it's, it looks great. So. And it's couture as well. Because that's all about fantasy, really. And you're on, girl, you're on fire today. You said taking liberties because that's the name of the fashion house. Oh, so uh-huh. yeah. it took mm-hmm. me a while. <laughs> there are some of the cleverest uses of costume that I've ever seen in a film in this, and I've mm-hmm. seen a mm-hmm. lot. And they are down to Jenny Bevan, English costume designer, Academy Award winner for Mad Max Fury Road and 1986's A Room with a view she has done so much in the costume genre and indeed even with sherlock holmes at game of shadows mm-hmm. uh, and her stuff is amazing i actually didn't realize that that was her that she was the mad max fury road costume designer but she's incredible like i'm actually not surprised now that everything looks so amazing in this <laughs> Yeah, she was the merchant ivory costumer, you know. So the Bostonians, Howard's End, Remains of the Day, Sense and Sensibility, Gosford Park, The King's Speech, you know, she's just done it all. And it's nice to actually see her just kind of break out of the corsetry of the deep period historical drama and do this one. And she just looks like she has gone crazy. And I, my partner, Go, was saying, I hope they consulted with her writing the script and I don't know if they did or didn't because she would have a good idea of what costume designers go through and fashion designers Mm. and I swear there's some bits in here about Cruella's difficulties mounting the runway becoming a fashion designer herself that speak to the creative in me and you can see why she went to the bad <laughs> in places because it's it's all madness what she's involved in the fashion industry. It's it's pretty interesting. Like I really kind of that's a sort of a lesser theme in the film, but I did enjoy a lot of that behind the scenes retro fashion house stuff. I just think retro behind the scenes fashion house in the sixties energy, like seeing exactly. Uh, you know, there's, it's it's obviously a little bit exaggerated as well for the story, but I enjoy those fashion elements, like shots of her at the sewing machine, all of them lined up, you know, very much like Phantom Thread, which is a totally different vibe, but it did remind me of Phantom Thread. And, and then, yeah, Emma Thompson strutting through looking fabulous and also giving off some um, Devil Wears Prada vibes and, and things like that. So that, the fashion level and the, the, fact that the story is taking place in in fashion like it's about fashion week and it's about parties and all of that spring collections and so on I actually think that was a pretty fun element of the movie if you can't use the word retro in the space age 60s when can you use it (laughs) true very true (laughs) yeah well I, I think they really nailed that section of it and have no hesitation in saying if you are a costumer or a cosplayer or whatever, see this film because it's got it all for you. And, Mm. you know, we were just laughing with delight at some stage. 
a couple of stages. Very much. Cool. And this is the advantage of having this one on download because you can freeze frame it and go back and have a look at it. Just say. There were a couple of sequences I went back to, I'm not going to lie, because there is some good, and I'm definitely not going to ruin anything here, but it's my favourite crossover, and we haven't even kind of talked about this element of the film, is that it's not just an origin story. It's not just about fashion. It's also like a heist. It's it's about mm. grifting, and it's very much about crime. It's a caper film, and there's always an angle, you know, and I think I hadn't really realised that about the film, and very quickly I realised there's going to be a very strong element of that, and you know I love a heist film. Yeah. I and absolutely, I live for a good heist film. And obviously, it's only one of the things in this mixed box of chocolates that we're getting delivered. So it's not the main thrust of the film, but the elements of heist in it were very well done. And I think there was just enough of it and it was executed beautifully. Well, speaking of which, there's a track in it by David Bowie, of course. And this is from his Sound Plus vision album and it's boys keep swinging triple r on fm digital online and via the app this is peter hamilton builder of worlds creator of the confederation and commonwealth universes you're listening to zero g on the three triple r unisphere bit of fancy dancy there mr bowie boys keep swinging (laughs) sound and vision album but they're deployed in the service of the exceptionally well-curated soundtrack for the Disney Plus movie, Cruella, which we've Mm. been talking about at length here today because there was a lot to unpack. Well, certainly got a lot of um, of wardrobe, doesn't she? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, I villain films can be tricky territory. And also the Disney live actions have been a mixed bag, let's say. So my baseline is generally to expect less rather than more. But I had heard some good things about this going in. And to be honest, I just had a lot of fun. And the soundtrack certainly helped. Emma Stone's brilliant job at being the bad Cruella certainly helped as well. I think there were some very clever elements. And sure, some of this is well-trodden ground, but it's a Disney villain live action. Like you can't, you know, you're only going to be as fresh as you can. And I think this has definitely fulfilled its full potential in my mind and exceeded my expectations. There's a really great tracking shot actually, Mm. which I absolutely loved. I love a well thought out tracking shot. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, Ever since I first saw the player when I was studying film in university, I'm always a fan of a very well thought out tracking shot. But I think the, just the general art design and direction of this, I think it just all shined up really nicely, like a nice shiny beaded couture gown. (laughs) And uh, obviously the acting is all really strong, (laughs) Mark Strong. (laughs) The um, the tracking shot, uh, it's the second film, maybe probably more, but uh, Emma Stone was in Birdman. That has that great tracking shot too. Of course. Very similar. Yes, exactly. Very similar. Mm. In fact, I think they're doing an homage in that. It could be actually because I think you're right. It is a very similar shot. But I think, and, you know, just little things like that where you go, darn, this movie is doing a lot of things right and it knows what it is too. Like it understands the assignment, as they say on the internet. And it was just delicious fun. I I really had a great time with this. I would see Emma Stone in almost anything though. I do think she's very charming. 
and she pulled off this character really well. It could have been a train wreck, but she's handled it with masterful skill. In some respects, I almost feel like I'm watching a, a Hunger Games spin-off film <laughs> with, with, yeah. with the character of, what was her name? The uh, Effie Trinket, Effie the Trinket. Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, <laughs> but even more so, like even more fantastic, yeah. I would say. Uh, there's there's a couple of things I wanted to just mention. I did think the film was maybe maybe 15 minutes too long for this kind of film. I do agree. It's about two hours and 20 minutes, which is long for Disney, and I do agree. I think it's long for this kind of premise. There was some moments where they were using, and they, they did have some splendid cinematography, but a couple of times in interior scenes they went to unsteady cam, Ooh. which always makes me feel a little bit seasick in some circumstances, and I just thought, why are you doing this? We don't really need that here. Just sure. stop <laughs> stop making – we're not at sea, for God's sake, you know. <laughs> uh, another thing, I thought this is a retcon film, obviously, mm-hmm. and it feels a little bit redemptive. Yeah, I agree, but I also think that they have to go that path because if you do a straight-up villain story where you make the person as horrible as you always thought they were, I don't want to see that. Do you know what I mean? Way back when Tim Burton's original Batman film came out, I was a bit dismissive of Jack Nicholson's character of the Joker in that because he went from being a thug Mm -hmm. to a laughing thug. I didn't think there was much of a story arc there. (laughs) <laughs> in this case, there is definitely a story arc, and I, I pay them for doing that. You know, I, yeah. as I said, I don't believe they land it where Cruella is in those other movies. No. So we've yet to see the final thing, but we do find out why she does dislike Dalmatians. <laughs> but it's it's also very – there's more layers to it too. There, yeah, there's a couple of elements where I was like, really? Really? You're stretching my imagination here, my believability, mm. but there were some things that made me forgive its transgressions, let's say. And we should not really uh, forget that the Cruella develop in the later movies is, or the earlier movies that are set later, uh, an animal exploiter and killer and a trader in endangered species pelts, which is a vile thing to be. Hmm. Yeah, you have to I stop realize It's yeah. Disney. Yeah. She is. Well, their villains are—it's very black and white, just like her hair, isn't it? Yeah. Villains are villain, villainous. Yeah. And but that's not as much on display in this movie. In fact, it feels a little bit like when they take a Star Trek villain, like the Borg or the Klingons and the mm-hmm. Romulans and so on, and then they put one of them on the bridge of the Enterprise, and we find out more about them. Yes. Yeah, a little bit like that. Is that a problem? I don't know. I'm not forgiving. Cruella for her later crimes. Mm-hmm. But I I wonder if they're not leading towards uh, this being more than just a – this leading into a new era of what that story looks like, if you know what I mean, like a 101 Dalmatians with this Cruella. And there are some elements that I think lend towards that theory, which I'll just say that without saying any more, uh, that we're maybe in reboot territory here. Mm, another pair of – stylish but affordable boots. Well, I think we're uh, running up to the end of Zero G, getting very close to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's so much to choose from for the soundtrack of Cruella that 
we're spoiled for choice, really. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got uh, Blondie to go out with, I reckon. Yeah, let's do it. I think that that contains the essence of Cruella's mission in this, a uh, bit of Blondie to go out with one way or another. Which is actually the title of the track. Exactly. Drawing parallel lines there, which is the name of the album I got this one from. But, again, mm-hmm. deployed on the soundtrack of Cruella, which is available on Disney Plus Premium, so you're going to have to shell out a lot of spondulics to get it, or you can go and see it at the cinema. If you happen to be in a, an area of this poor, shattered world that has cinemas still open, perhaps if you're in the kingdom in The Walking Dead, you can go to the fair where they were playing movies for a time. There you go. <laughs> so that's it. Well, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. This was a fun one to chat about. I think yeah. – um, that it, I'm really glad I watched this and it was sort of exactly what I was in the mood for. So mm. Until next week, Joe Brunatic will come up next with Astral Glamour and thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster, and out we go with a Blondie, one way or another. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.